0: John 16, verse four. But these things I have spoken to you so that when their hour comes, you may remember that I told you of them. These things I did not say to you at the beginning because I was with you. But now I am going to him who sent me. And none of you asks me, where are you going? But because I have said these things to you, sorrow has filled your heart. But I tell you the truth it is to your advantage that I go away, for if I do not go away, the helper will not come to you. But if I, he, when he comes, will convict the world concerning sin and righteousness and judgment. Concerning sin, because they do not believe in me. And concerning righteousness, because I go to the Father and you no longer see me. And concerning judgment, because the ruler of this world Has been judged. I have many more things to say to you, but you cannot bear them now. But when He, the Spirit of Truth, comes, He will guide you into all the truth. For He will not speak on His own initiative, but whatever He hears, He will speak, and He will disclose to you what is to come. He will glorify Me, for He will take of mine and will disclose it to you. All things that the Father has, are mine. Therefore, I said that he takes of mine and will disclose it to you. The word of the Lord. Uh, during this time of the year, we normally look at the four gospels, and uh, this year, we're looking at a particular discourse or speech or sermon given by Jesus Christ in the company of his disciples right at the very end of his three year long ministry to them only hours in fact before his arrest this discourse has famously come to be known as the upper room discourse it's only found in John's gospel and it's dense like every word counts it's like all the threads and and uh, Chords of everything Jesus has taught and thinks and has accomplished, all these lines come together now and connect in this upper room at this meal. So far, we uh, almost every week have focused on the emotional, spiritual, psychological condition of the disciples. The state of the students as Jesus now addresses them. Their teacher knows their condition, but they don't. And he knows why Judas got up at a particular point and left the meal. They don't. He knows that the remaining young men have seen things and heard things over the last three years that they will never be able to forget things that have left an indelible mark on them. They will be changed forever by what they have seen. They can never be the same. And he also knows that the bottom is about to drop out of their lives. And Jesus Christ, knowing the condition of the disciples, is painfully aware that these are not perfectly good men, but these are fallen men young men with stars in their eyes and as much as they say they are concerned for Jesus Christ and one has even said I will lay down my life for you completely getting things reversed as much as they claim to be concerned for him and for the mission of God to the world Jesus knows that what's really on their mind is their prospects for the future And that's why when Jesus says, I'm going away from you, he says, why are your hearts filled with sorrow? It's to your advantage and frankly, to the advantage of the world that I go away. But the disciples are only sad at the idea of his leaving. It's like the disciples are saying, you know, dad begged me not to go with this strange man from Nazareth. But I told dad he was wrong. And now look at us. We're having a banquet in the capital city. We're going to have high power positions in the upper echelons of the government. My future looks really bright. Check me out now, Dad. What does our future hold? That's what's on the mind of the disciples. And I can promise that's what's on... The minds of many of us as well. What will the next year bring you? What are your future prospects? What does the future hold? My wife, uh, Missy, and I have been thinking a good deal about the future late- lately. Uh, Missy's getting older, <laughs> and um, she'll be she'll be sixty years old next month. And I uh, never thought I'd be married to an old lady. But, uh, but I will say this, she's still fine. And uh, all joking aside, well, let me be honest, some joking aside, our whole country is concerned about the future. We're concerned about the future of Medicare. We're concerned about the future of social security and how changes in those systems might affect a great number of lives we regularly get prayer requests from you the people of this church submitted in the boxes in the back and they're compiled on monday morning and the staff and officers see those prayer requests and pray about them but we quite often get prayer requests about Future prospects and decisions that have to be made in light of those future prospects. And people are asking whether or not to go to college, to buy a home, to rent, to get married, to change jobs, when to retire what kind of medical treatment to seek, to have children or not to have children, how to care for aging parents, whether or not to move out of the area, which I can tell you the answer to that is no. (laughs) And let's face it, we are all concerned about the future. Here, Jesus Christ addresses this preoccupation in the young men that God gave him to teach and to train, a fixation that we all share, anxiety about the future. And in this passage, I'd like to point out to you today number one, concern for my future, number two, the concern of the Spirit, and number three, concern for the kingdom of God. Again, concern for my future the concern of the spirit, and thirdly, concern for the kingdom of God. Jesus Christ knows even as they celebrate this Passover meal on this dark, dark night, it said Judas left the room and it was night. And as darkness, spiritual darkness settles, Jesus knows that this ritual, sacramental, liturgical symbolic meal which has been celebrated like 1500 times 1500 years in which a lamb is ritually sacrificed slaughtered in the place of the firstborn sons of Israel the Passover meal now reaches its destination the symbol has pointed for 1,500 consecutive years to him because he is the firstborn over all creation and he is the Passover lamb come to be sacrificed in the place of all God's people in all ages. And he wonders aloud, as I'm getting ready to accomplish this, to which the Passover meal has pointed for all these many, many generations As we're celebrating this and as I'm going to fulfill its meaning, no one asks me where I am going. But if you've been paying attention week by week or you know something about the Upper Room Discourse, they have indeed asked that very question twice just since the dinner began. So in chapter 13, Simon Peter said to him, Lord, where are you going? And then again, just a few verses later, Thomas said to him, Lord, we don't know where you are going. How can we know the way? Was Jesus not listening to the disciples? Why did they say in one minute, Lord, where are you going? And in the next minute, Jesus says, I'm shocked that no one asks me where I am going is Jesus not listening to them? Well, my idea is he's listening to them, what they're saying, and even to what they're not saying. They weren't really asking where he was going and what he was going to do there. But instead, why would he, their teacher and leader, why would he possibly leave them at this very moment when for them to be without him would ruin everything for their future prospects. You ever been to a party or you threw a party and and somebody came and and, uh, you're really excited that they were there. You're hoping to spend time with them at the party and then you see them gathering their things and it looks like they're leaving and you say, where are you going? But you're not really asking anything. You know, so many times we state things in the interrogative (laughs) with a with a question mark at the end. Where it looks like we're asking a question humbly when really we're making a, a comment. You're not really asking, where are you going? You're really asking what could be more important than my party. And so where I say, Hey, where are you going? What I'm really saying is, it is bad for you to leave now. I want you to stay. I don't want you to go. Where are you going? And when the disciples seem to be asking, where are you going? In reality, they're complaining. Lord, you brought us all the way to the one yard line. And then you spiked the ball outside of the end zone. Why would you possibly drop the ball now? What could possibly, of all the priorities on planet Earth right now, what could possibly be more important than you situating us and securing for us our future prospects? What could possibly be more important than you ensuring the fact that we tomorrow will be seated at the conference table in the Oval Office and comfortably participating in your government. Where are you going? That it's so important, more important than our future prospects. Come on, Lord. What could possibly be more important than that? Where are you going? Well, where is he going? He's going to save the world and the way he'll do that is by keeping an eternal covenant that was made in the fellowship of the Godhead whereby the covenant made between a holy God and a sinful humanity the world is now going to be reclaimed by a man because the world was lost by a man. A man must come forward who obeys God fully and absolutely consistently from the heart. A real flesh and blood man has to live a human life that's in perfect harmony with the will of the Father for the world to be saved. Someone must atone for sin. Someone has to pay the price. Someone has to correct the cosmic imbalance in the books. A spotless, pure, loving, holy, flawless life must be offered as a payment to satisfy the demands of justice. It's got to be the ultimate act of love. And the blood of that sacrifice, that atoning sacrifice must be offered and accepted before the throne of God in order for the world to be saved. And that is where Jesus is going. It had been performed symbolically in the sacrifice of animals. All the blood of bulls and goats on Jewish altars slain had been practiced symbolically for some 1,500 years But now Jesus is saying all those were symbols. They didn't really pay for sin. The blood of a calf, the blood of a goat can't pay for the sins of a human. Only the blood of a human can pay for the sins of a human. And these symbols pointed to me, says Jesus, as it says in the book of Hebrews. It was not through the blood of goats and calves, but through the blood of through his own blood that Jesus Christ entered the holy place once for all, having obtained eternal redemption. If the animals were symbols, how much more will the blood of Christ, who through the eternal spirit offered himself without blemish, see he's the spotless lamb, to God, how much more will that cleanse your conscience from dead works to serve the living God? He has to present himself before the throne of God. This is where Jesus is going. He's going to the Father. Why are you going there, Lord? To save the world. And now for me, he stands before the Father's throne. He shows his wounded hands and names me as his own. Yeah, Lord. I'm cool with that. Save the world. But, uh, What about our future prospects? Can we talk about that? I mean, what am I going to tell my parents? And this is why Jesus says, I have many more things to tell you, but you can't handle it now. I think we understand the impulse in the hearts of those disciples. Because again, we all wonder Where we're going to be a year from now, five years from now, ten years from now. Will we even be here? We remember that time we were called in to the registrar's office. You remember that call? I have looked at this from every which way. And I'm sad to tell you, you will not be graduating this May. You have another semester to put in before your graduation. And you know what you feel in that moment, right? My life is over. Everything's going to fall apart. I have no prospects for the future. That sense of disappointment, like your whole life, is done. Many of you, though it never happened to me, but many of you have received that dreaded letter. We regret to inform you at this time. We must deny your entrance into so-and-so institution. I have a good friend who just informed us this week, that out of the blue, he lost a very good job. He is in his 60s, and suddenly his future prospects are in jeopardy. Some of you have heard from a doctor. Your child has been diagnosed with blank condition, and suddenly the future you imagined for that child or for your family has been altered beyond repair. Concern for my future. Our second point is the concern of the Spirit. When Jesus Christ goes to the Father and his sacrifice is accepted, the covenant is fulfilled, the earth is cleansed, as it were, and sanctified by Jesus Christ's offering so the spirit can now come into the world because it's been prepared for him by Jesus. And the spirit who raised Jesus from the dead will come into the world and will now animate or motivate or move the body of Christ. I was talking to a couple guys the other day about this. If the church does not have the spirit, it's only a club. It's important to think about that. If the church is not animated by the spirit, it's only a religious club. The spirit will animate and put into motion his desires for the church and for the world. And two desires come to the fore in this particular passage and are highlighted here. That is the spirit's desire to convict and to communicate, to convict and and communicate. Listen carefully to those words because I'm going to talk about them for a second. To convict and to communicate. The helper, as he's called, or the spirit of truth, will come into the world. He will come alongside and speak through the disciples and the church to prosecute or prove guilty, convict, the whole system of opposition to God that we call the world. The Spirit's concern is to prosecute on the world stage that the whole project of dethroning God, of discrediting his beloved Messiah, the Spirit will convince the world, convict the world, prove the world guilty that this is an evil project and will fail. The one who sits in the heaven's laughs, and the Lord scoffs at them. Babel must come down. The Spirit will work out his concerns through the apostles and the church to render judgment, to convict concerning the world's sin, righteousness, and judgment. Sin, righteousness, and judgment. You say, well, how will he convict the world Or prove the world guilty of sin. Well, the world's sin boils down to the world's unwillingness to believe in Jesus Christ. He came into the world not to judge the world, but that the world through him might be saved. But the world always seeking to dethrone God and to be independent of God, the world would rather not depend on Jesus Christ The world would not trust or believe in Jesus Christ. And this, says Jesus, is the world's great sin. In Sunday classes this morning, we looked at a verse where someone yells out of the crowd, Teacher, what must we do to work the works of God? And Jesus turns to him and says, this is the work of God, to believe in the one whom he has sent. Concerning sin, because they do not believe in me. Secondly, the spirit will further pronounce the world system to be guilty and condemned and failed on account of the world's, quote, righteousness. The world gets righteousness by exercising comparisons. That's how the world gets righteous. If you're more righteous than someone else, then you feel good about yourself. I don't roll my eyes when my husband talks to me, she does. I'm better than she is. When my mint plant in my home garden grows 10 inches, I always chop off an inch and bring it to the temple as a tithe. I notice that those guys don't do that. I am more righteous than they are. But Jesus has shown again and again None of this comparison stuff will qualify a person to stand in front of the holy, holy, holy God. And in fact, all this comparison stuff does, it makes us nervous and defensive and anxious. True righteousness, Jesus has taught. True righteousness qualifies a person to come into and stand in the presence of the holy, holy holy God so Psalm 24 who shall ascend the hill of the Lord and who may stand in his holy place answer he who has clean hands and a pure heart no one but one has ever qualified the helper will convict the world about righteousness because I go to the father and the father receives me right into his presence because I am truly righteous he Jesus Christ will show the world's righteousness to be a sham real righteousness gives you access to stand in the presence of God Jesus goes to the father he can do that because unlike the world he is truly righteous he will convict the world of sin of righteousness and thirdly of judgment when the helper comes he will convict the world concerning judgment because the ruler of this world has been judged the cross of Jesus Christ will show that God at his weakest is stronger than the devil at his strongest, infinitely so. And the message the apostles and the church proclaim is that this world, where he who dies with the most toys wins, this world is an illusion, it's death, it's a project doomed to fail, so jump ship as soon as you can. Now, the second desire of the Spirit after convicting the world, proving the world guilty, the Spirit loves to communicate. He will guide you into all truth. He will speak. He will disclose. He will take of my words and disclose them to you. In other words, if you've ever wondered about this, if you ever wondered, were the disciples entering onto their iPad every time Jesus spoke? so that they can remember it exactly? Did they walk around with parchment and a quill pen and write down his words? Well, Jesus Christ is promising here. When the Spirit comes, he'll remind you, he'll disclose to you everything that I taught you. Why? So you can write it down. So the church can have my words. That's why we have the words of the apostles. They turned the keys of the kingdom. They remembered the words that Jesus spoke them because the Spirit disclosed those words to them he will enable the apostles to write the bible he will give them to see the significance of these words and inspire faith in them to actually believe the words of Jesus he'll bring out the truth the beauty the goodness of all that Jesus said he says Jesus the spirit of truth will glorify me in opening your eyes to trust all that I have said. You know, the Spirit's concern, because that's what I'm talking about right now, concern for my future, and number two, the Spirit's concern. The Spirit's concern is to point to Jesus Christ who overcame the world, who went to the Father to present himself as an atoning sacrifice, to pour out his blood, as it were, for everyone who simply believes. And when we do believe... We're agreeing with the Spirit that unbelief in Jesus Christ and independence from God is the essence of sin. Unbelief in Jesus and seeking independence from God is the essence of sin. And it ends in death and then a second death. And when we believe in the Spirit, He is moving us to see that my comparison-based righteousness is a, is a fake. Falls far short. Will not get me access to God. That only comes by perfect righteousness. And the only way to get perfect righteousness is for Jesus to share his righteousness with you and to take your unrighteousness onto himself. It only comes as a gift. When I believe in Jesus Christ, his perfect goodness is actually attributed to me as if I live that goodness myself. It's attributed to me for free. I don't deserve it. And the spirit's concern works in me, a kind of denial of the world. I see the world. Now, sometimes the world sort of snookers me into believing it for a moment. But eventually the spirit brings me back to the point where I see the world as doomed. The ruler of this world has been cast down, has been judged, and the world with it. The king has fallen and all the pawns with him. And yet I come more and more daily to be concerned for the things of the kingdom of God. I've heard that mighty voice and I know many of you have heard that mighty voice as well from the last book, which says now the salvation and the power and the kingdom of our God and the authority of his Christ have come. And the accuser of the brethren has been thrown down who accuses them day and night before the throne of God and they overcame him because of the blood of the lamb and the word of their testimony and they did not love their lives even when faced with death. The world is doomed. The kingdom of this world has become the kingdom of our God and of his Christ. And that brings me to the words of the victor. Who when he saw people like us who are obsessed with our prospects for the future and constantly ensnared by worry and quote concern he said these words but Seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness and all these things will be added to you. So do not worry about tomorrow for tomorrow will take care of itself. Each day has enough trouble of its own. You see the the helper, the spirit of truth is using the words of Jesus as he disclosed them to the apostles to liberate me from this perpetual anxiety about my future. My future. Such a burden. My future. And instead, he has me focusing on God's kingdom, God's beautiful reign. Lord, in my life, thy kingdom come. In this church, thy kingdom come. Lord, in our city, in South Florida, In this nation, in this world, thy kingdom come. And when I go that way with the spirit, fear and obsession about my future and the weight of success and figuring it all out, it all melts away and I'm able to enjoy God and to enjoy the moment You know how we say today, I'm in the moment? Well, faith in Christ will make you enjoy the moment, confident that whatever my future holds, my Father does all things well, and I can rest in that truth. Let's pray together. Lord, only you know the pile of worry that is on the shoulders of many people who are sitting Here in this sanctuary or watching on the internet. Only you know the great burden that many people bear as we try to figure out with perfect perfect, scrupulous diligence how to organize our future so that it is perfectly smooth. Lord, help us to surrender that foolish attempt at control and help us to cling to Jesus who has overcome the prince of this world who has ascended on high righteous into the sight of god and who loves us with an everlasting love and now as we come to the table of jesus lord feed us on this truth so we be satisfied in it in jesus name we pray amen